Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. Oh, this is bittersweet. Our last, our last of three. <laughs> we've, we've powered through probably the biggest book I've ever seen in book group. <laughs> Work through in one, one month. It's so good. Well, I, I wanted to start off, if I, if I may, with a comment here, and maybe that'll help with focusing our discussion, because this last piece, assuming you actually read it in chunks, um, has an awful lot in it, right? There's a lot of plot, there's a lot of characters, um, a lot of observations, all of them very interesting. And we could have spent and could you know, spend hours and hours probably talking about all of them. One of the things that I wanna try to resist at least a little bit is literary criticism, even though I myself was a Russian lit major and we could go deeply into you know, the form and uh, all of that. Since we started this as a book about climate change, and that was kind of my pitch for why I was going to do this, I thought it would be good to try to focus in as much as possible on what are the lessons of this book, um, you know, that emerge for you, for us, uh, from the novel, while recognizing the fact that it is fiction. Um, I mean, it's meant to be a novel, uh, but it also is, I think, meant to make us think a lot about um, what's going on now and what could happen in the future and what the implications are of the climate change that we're already experiencing and know will, there will be more of in the future. So if, if, if that's okay, I was hoping to try to kind of get some discussion going here. Um, that's, uh, relevant to St. James and others and anybody else who's uh, a part of this group um, because there is a place in which um, religion actually comes into this. There are several actually, because there's the character of Kali uh, who uh, obviously uh, is, a, is a figure in, uh, in an ancient religion, but, um, and there's other places where characters come in who are trying to, I think, make us think about that aspect of what's going on. It's, it's a way maybe of reaching people or devising um, solutions and reactions that's a little bit different from the economics, the sociology, and you know all the other elements that we talked about. Um, and so I, I wanted to start off, If does anybody actually have their book in front of them at this very moment? Yes, a number of people do, okay. Would somebody be willing to go to the place where this is kind of towards the middle? Um, I mean, it's towards the beginning of what the end was, um, where Mary uh, is having a meeting with her, um, I guess you could call him her deputy, whose name is Badim. Remember, Badim is the character who is a little mysterious and is off doing things that we don't necessarily want to know about because they may or may not be consistent with any of the rules of existing rules of the world order. Uh, and um, he points out, or she asks him, you know, what, why he's afraid to come to find her. He's, he's come to Switzerland to seek her out uh, in the park. And um, she's afraid that he's going to talk about some new scary operation that he's involved in and she's thinking about the fact that there have been a number of accidents quote unquote in which um, oil company executives seem to have unfortunately suffered from uh, 
disappearance let's put it that way so there's been there's been a lot going on in a backlash against against the oil companies and um instead um he has something else to say so starting at the bottom of page 254 when Badim says something to Mary um does anybody want to read that out loud starting starting at I think we need a new religion that's um, it. <laughs> bottom of, bottom of two five four. Yeah, who feels like reading that? Basically, reading the last sentences on page two five four and all of two five five. I can. Thanks, Juliana. Um. So on page two hundred fifty four, the last sentence. Um. I think we need a new religion. She stared at him, surprised. Really. He turned his gaze on her. Well, maybe it's not a new religion, an old religion, maybe the oldest religion, but back among us, big time, because I think we need it. People need something bigger than themselves. All these economic plans, always talking about things in terms of money and self-interest, people aren't really like that. They're always asking for other reasons than that, for other people, basically, for religious reasons spiritual reasons. Mary shook her head, unsure. She'd got enough of that kind of thing in her childhood. Ireland had not seemed to have benefited from its religion. Houdin saw this and wagged a finger at her. It's a huge part of the brain, you know? The temporal lobe pulses like a strobe light when you feel these emotions. Sense of awe, epilepsy, hypergraphia. It's not sounding that good, Mary pointed out. <laughs> I know it can go wrong, but it's crucial. It's central to who you are, to how you decide things. So you're going to invent a new religion, an old one, the oldest one. We're going to bring it back. We need it. And how are you going to do that? Well, let me share some ideas with you. <laughs> that's, that's where it ends, right? <laughs> with a mystery. So anybody, what do you think the oldest religion is? The oldest, oldest religion? Maybe our rector can tell us. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say Mother Earth. Yeah, exactly. Gaia. Mother Earth, yeah. Worshipping trees, worshipping rocks, worshipping animals, you know, thinking that nature itself is like, uh, is that is the spiritual religion. And yeah. it just, there, there it is. It's just kind of stuck there. Uh, there hasn't really been anything that moved us to that point. And I don't believe that it by itself, it has any end in terms of where the novel is going. And yet at that point, there starts to be a shift in terms of what's going on more in the direction of um, people thinking about how to save animals, how to save wildlife how to save nature um than at any point up until then and there's some great scenes up in the alps where mary is first taken to escape because she's a target from others who are resistant to her efforts to try to save the planet um and then frank too ends up coming to 
the Alps and finding some kind of um, relationship there or um, uh, relief, I guess you would say, from what's been bothering him. Um, and so- then Art and the airship looking <laughs> out over all of those. I mean, those were just such adorable yeah. passages. So, so Garden of Eden. Well, oh, the, the scene with Frank and Mary when they were watching the Marmot. Yeah. That was such a Garden of Eden moment, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I I really appreciated that piece of it because having worked in the climate change world, um, you know, most of the effort really goes towards technology and technology solutions and, you know, dealing with the aftermath of um, all of the decisions that have been made over the more than 100 years since the since the industrial revolution, more like 200 years, I guess, in which all these gases have been building up as a result of things that, you know, we humanity have done. Um, and nature always seems like it's kind of off uh, in some other realm. And I, I think it's important that one of the things he's beginning to focus on is that you can't treat these things as two completely separate, uh, separate worlds. Two separate systems, I guess you would say. Um, so I don't know if um, anybody had any reaction to that aspect of it or just, you know, read it for what it is, which is totally fine. But I thought the fact that this came in the same kind of part of the book where he's also talking about the need for the new religion. Um, was really interesting because certainly there's a there's a lot of critique that goes on about Christianity and its um, role in the environment or not and language that's taken from the Bible about man dominating the planet and all of that which um, has been at least in the past used as an excuse for why it was okay to exploit the resources of the earth uh, because we're in charge and it's our job. You know, we, we make the decisions and they do what we tell them to do basically. And uh, this book seems to be uh, certainly not in sympathy with that particular view. I thought it was so interesting, the um, moving people to the city in order to free up uh, space for animals and plants mm-hmm. and then, uh, and of course reducing the population and as you do that so that, so that what are we going to be eight billion I forget the exact number and uh, yeah that, that was a very good point in the book I think Mm-hmm. I couldn't quite figure out when when it seemed like there was a shift that all people mattered, that the poor were always the first victims. And it seemed like somewhere there there was a switch that were all important. And um, but I thought maybe they all just got wiped out. Yeah. Well, no, I think that theme really begins to emerge as the book goes along. I mean, you sort of 
you could observe that, I guess, in terms of who are the refugees who are showing up in Switzerland, who were the people who died at the very <clears throat> beginning of the book. Obviously, they were people from the, you know, the poorest, uh, one of the poorest places on the planet. But he doesn't really sort of come right out and say it. <laughs> and now I think as as we're moving on, sort of getting closer to the end, um, he he really talks about um, equity and that as a being explicitly a piece of what has to happen for the uh, for the future for for the survival of humanity. Um, he because talks, he talks about the workforce. Yeah. And that, you know, in India, we're not just going to be the laborers. Uh -huh. So it seems like the goal is going towards equity. Yeah, well, at some point he makes a statement about the future. Well, there are a number of comments about capitalism and the problems with capitalism. And of course, all of the discussion about the bankers and how, you know, what does it take? How many times do these guys and women have to be hit over the head before they finally realize that they have to change, you know, because they really are amazingly unwilling to budge from their views about how the world works. And I think it's pretty clear that the author is expressing his own views here that, you know, it's not going to be enough to um, keep on with the um, people at the top, just um, making all the decisions and everybody else kind of having to having to live with them. And I yeah. love that idea, ultimately, that it got harder and harder to be rich because everybody knew where all the money was and it was all tracked and it wasn't hidden anymore. And and I liked the, that idea that that when you even as a rich person got carbon coin for deposits that you had, you had to then use the carbon coin in other carbon neutral ways. And, and, and I, I love that sort of gradual sort of wearing away at, at some of the privilege of the ultra wealthy. And I also love the idea of the refugee passport, because I think that was an example of dignity uh, and um, of all people. Right. That, when you think about it, it, it makes all the sense in the world. But he also manages to tell these stories in ways that have many different facets and, and some humor to them, too. I mean, remember the episode of the farmer whose wife um, is convincing <laughs> him to, to do some things that are going to save carbon? And then uh, when the uh, overseer comes along and wants to give him a few coins you know he's he doesn't want to take them because he's convinced they're going to cheat him and his wife drags him around behind the tree or the barn or whatever and tells him she's going to divorce him if he doesn't go along with this but <laughs> it's like that was a fable from you know folk folklore really but um it also and then it ended up that the money was that the coins were worth like 70 thousand dollars or something than he'd ever yeah. more more money than he ever could have thought of making in a year or many years and so it all works out well in the end but it just it it points up the fact that you know there's a role for everybody to play here i guess including these farmers who really uh are the last people probably the most conservative people in the world are farmers in terms of not being willing to change 
And yet somehow this uh, carbon solution has something for them too. They're not, they're not just being um, pushed around, you know, although they, they certainly suspect that they're being pushed around, but at the end of the day, they're actually uh, better off as well. It reminds me of in Kentucky, my, my, um, my stepmother's tobacco fields, the government paid her not to grow Mm-hmm. Tobacco. Tobacco. Yeah, they they did that. I mean, the, the federal government as part of the ending of, um, well, basically banning cigarettes or pretty much banning cigarettes, um, realized that there were whole uh, parts of the country, whole states where, you know, people's livelihoods were dependent on this product, which was killing people. And so they found a way to come up with the money because they realized that you could actually save money in the long run. I mean, it wasn't just that they were sympathetic to the farmers, although there was a political, of course, element as well, but it was also a recognition that if you wanna have really dramatic changes in what you're asking people to do, um, you have to find a way to make it possible for them to, to leave with you know, some money in their pocket and, and their dignity intact. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I have a question that I've been dying to ask um, everybody here um, because I come from a math background, but recently I've honestly felt a little turned off by some of the advances in science. Uh, this is maybe a little off topic, but I'm scared scared of AI. I know AI has been mentioned. It's not like the focus of the novel. It mm-hmm. has been mentioned. I, I've been scared of AI. I, I started asking myself, like, it, it would it be human? Um, if it's human, what, what do I do? How do I approach? Um, and but more, more of a focus than AI is Mars colonization. It's on page two hundred and eighty-nine. Mm-hmm. It's um like the third line from the top on page 289. Okay. It says, shorting civilization and imagining living on in some fortress island of the mind was another fantasy of escape, one of many that rich people entertained as ridiculous as retreating to Mars. Mm -hmm. So that's been mentioned, like I know Mars colonization has been a thing recently. And, you know, this sentence has got me wondering, is people using that as an excuse to not care about the environment? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then I know that in chapter 11, which is on page, it's on page um, 40, it's on page 40. Mm-hmm. And in the second paragraph, it's on, um, it's, I, I think it's in the middle of the second paragraph where it says, so is science, although it's a different one, a special one, um, meaning that it's like, it's an ideology because the author was talking about ideologies. Right. So I was, I've just been dying to ask everyone here, um, what is your stance on 
it's science or like the aspects of science um like what is your standing on like how you should approach how people should approach science or what aspects of the content of science is do you disapprove or approve of any of them i've been wanting to ask (laughs) (laughs) can i ask you a question have you seen yeah have you seen the movie oppenheimer yet or are you planning to go see it because you I want to. definitely, you should absolutely go see that movie. I got myself a ticket on Saturday night because I really, I was very anxious to see it. It's part of my history in terms of my background, having grown up in a university community with some of the people who were uh, the Manhattan Project um, and the survivors. I mean, the, the, the wow. people who did it, who built the bomb and what became of them and how, what changed their minds about things. But um, you, you, it raises those questions in a very big way. And I guess what I want to say, this isn't the answer to your question, but it's the start to, the start to how I think about this is that the invention of the bomb and the morality behind that, the reasoning that, you know, people who in good faith, who were the top scientists of their generation um, went and did this was because they believed it was essential to save civilization. They weren't doing it just because they thought they wanted to blow up stuff at, at all. They, under, they used their incredible creative minds knowledge to do something, which then once they had done it, was completely out of their control. It was taken over by people who had uh, their own ideologies or their own um, agendas. And they had to live with that for the rest of their lives, um, the role that they had played in, in making that happen. Um, and this is, it's very similar, although obviously a bomb as it, you know, in, in the pictures and in reality is a one much bigger, huge, dramatic episode as opposed to all the somewhat less dramatic, but still pretty dramatic episodes that are happening now with climate change. And, um, you know, some of the same kinds of questions I think are, are being asked by scientists, by people who help to invent some of the things that are now causing all the all the havoc on the planet um i was surprised actually uh because when i first came to st james la and i checked out the website and i saw the stained glass Mm. there was the painting where you know there was an astronaut and i thought you know like well this is thought-provoking like what 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 is this church's stance on science Oh, you know what? You're very lucky, Juliana, because Emily is on this call and she's she's the um, the curator of our stained glass. And she can actually say, why do we have uh, why do we have an astronaut window, Emily? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, that's a good question. An excellent question. We I guess we have an astronaut because. The people who were designing the windows were looking for, Karen can speak to this also, uh, looking for significant events in uh, history that required tremendous courage and, uh, and faith. And 
the astronauts symbolize the kind of faith? What would you say, Karen? And I think the donors of that window very much were into science and, you know, the science too. I'm trying to remember which I have it here of which one it is, but each of the windows has current happenings for the time period that the window was being created. Right. But and how that fit with the theme, whether, it, and I don't remember what the astronauts, what are they, they aren't in, I know they're not in resurrection, ascension and glorification, because that's. No. <laughs> well, I mean, Juliana, as you've noticed in the Episcopal tradition, we're definitely pro-science and, you know, we, we feel like we can hold um, our, the stories of our faith history and at the same time, scientific knowledge and that they're, that it's a both and, you know, um, we're not biblical literalists, <laughs> but we adore and revere at the Bible. So it's, 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 but that's also, there's one of the things I love in, in those upstairs windows. I love the window that, that has symbols for Judaism and Islam and other faith traditions. That's another thing that I love about our tradition is that we love other traditions. Right. And I love at the National Cathedral that there's a moon rock in um, one of one of their stained glass windows. Cool. Really cool. Wow. Yeah, go on the National Cathedral uh, website and just Google I love that idea. Moon rock. You know, just to sort of talk for a minute about, about that, actually, what Marty just said. You know, and then Juliana, you noticing that astronaut window. Um, there's so much, there's a whole world of things that we could do at St. James to, to, to testify, you know, to, um, to the climate, what's happening in the climate crisis. And also we, there's some, so many things we could do to model or explore investigate um, and uh, uh, the role that we can play and then and then write about it and communicate it to the world. We could be a church that is a little laboratory for, um, for science, for social action, for inquiry, for uh, homespun solutions. Uh, there, there's a million ways, just like this book has a million approaches to, uh, to the climate crisis. But, you know, I don't know that many churches that have really made, in the Episcopal tradition, a thoroughgoing, passionate commitment to to, to holding this, you know, in the forefront. I mean, there mm -hmm. are churches that do a little of this, a little of that, but, you know, what would it be like for us to be, come as, um, as transformed as, as the character Mary is in the book, you know? 
starting as she does, just having meetings and kind of, you know, she's kind of a bureaucrat. <laughs> she's she kind of a, she's a bureaucrat. She was, but by the end, she was, uh, you know, on our hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. She became a. Um, she became an icon. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that the the, but our church could be an icon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As well. It's a really interesting idea. I think of her, I guess, as an every woman. Obviously, she's in an important position, so she's not literally everyone, but she is, I think, intended to be like a normal human being with all the I know. That's why I love that we see her, you know, wandering around and swimming and drinking coffee and yeah, listening to Miles Davis. I mean, I, I love that character and I agree that she's she's not supposed to be some lofty somebody. Right. And yet, you know, she and Badim and 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 the rest of the team over the sort of what is it like 20 years that this book covers? Playing, right. They changed their whole the whole world. Mm. Yes. So I guess sort of a response to that question that you asked is is there a way that a church could play that role however you know however small or um you know specialized it could be what what could we be doing um through that particular community that could that could really make a difference i mean for instance um you know we use instagram Mm -hmm. i mean and we have a guy, Justin, who d- can do Instagram yes. posts for us easily. And what would it be like if every week or every couple of days we we did an Instagram post on some question that we're considering or some project that we're getting started or 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 even just asking a question? And now I'm going to channel Edgar and Mary. Oh no. <laughs> This is, this is what happened over time. Right? I think that's wonderful. It's he's wonderful. Um, for instance, I'll give you an example because there's a fellow in our church. Some of you know him named Ed Garen, and he's something of a prophet. Um, just the way prophets always stir the pot and make everybody crazy, but actually have really good ideas. He's one of those people. And um, he's been harassing me since I moved into this rectory to get an electric water heater instead of the gas one that I have now. We have enough money in the budget because the vestry set aside a certain amount of money for for, um, keeping up the rectory. This is where I live. The house where I live is owned by the church. And, um, And so if we were to do that, we could make an Instagram post that just showed the people coming and putting in the electric water heater and I could and I we could say how much it cost you know not a long diatribe but just a like a two second thing mm-hmm. you know and then and then um uh I can just say please think about this it's easy mm-hmm. you know right it could be inspiring but it's, it's like a nothing thing but it's a big thing it's a big thing I'd like to ask one of the people who haven't spoken this time if they would care to respond to any of that I feel like You've been awfully quiet here. Nancy, can I call upon you? I've been called upon. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's a group of people that I've I've recently become associated with. It's artists, musicians primarily, um, who have who want to uh, who want to make a difference with climate change. And it's it's a little bit funny. What do we do as musicians? You know, well, we do have people who are listening on occasion. Of course, I have people who listen on a regular basis in rehearsals, and so that's something that I can. You know, I have ways of spreading whatever word is interesting to me at the time. But I have not particularly used that forum to uh, to do, you know, music about Mm -hmm. uh, with the focus of climate change, whatever that whatever that might take. Um, I've I've kind of focused on humanity and people. And maybe it, you know, making it larger as far as the whole world, uh, the earth. I'm, I'm just exploring that. And this, and mm-hmm. summer is the time that I select repertoire for the coming years. And th- these folks uh, include Lucy Jones, who is I was about to say uh, I don't, she's very interested in the connection between music and climate. yeah, yeah. And the group's name is Tempo. I don't know what the T E M P O stands for. I knew it one time. But, um, and also a, a classical pianist. And I've just, you know, people have introduced me to other folks and I, I'm just sort of on the cusp of getting involved in these things. Mm-hmm. But, but one of the things that's, that has stood out to me is I watched a video um, on their website of a, a scientist who's making the point that um, it doesn't, it's, uh, you know, it's easy to, to minimize a problem that's so big because we don't think we can do anything about it. And uh, there, you know, there's a lot to it, but if, you know, if we hear of one person, one person's death, that's tragic, but two people's death doesn't feel twice as tragic and five people's death is not much more tragic than three people's death. Mm -hmm. And if you keep looking at that, you know, if it's, if it's 500 million people, you know, is that a lot more than 5,000 people? It's just, it's... Our minds um, don't deal with the numbers that way very yeah, well. Yeah, and still we're talking about humanity. And um, so uh, just, uh, you know, with that in mind, we as a single person don't necessarily feel empowered to do anything. And it's 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 kind of a, a similar thing, but... Yeah, um, I think that's I, a good point. But I and that sort of goes back to Kate's point because... Although she's living in the house, she's the only person living there. And, um, you know, so it could feel like it was selfish, you know, that she was just getting her own house, uh, you know, with this new technology. But it has the potential to actually spread a lot further. Yeah. And if we, you know, especially with the media, what it is, social media, how wonderful, because because word does spread that way. We can hear... Mm -hmm. We can hear what's going on. We can speak to many, many people at once about even small things. And then it does become a big thing if a lot of people do it. So I think it's great. What is, you know, what is a, a church's, you know, mission? Of course, there, there are many things, but I think that's a great focus at this at this time. Well, we are owners of property, that's for sure. We own buildings, you know, and, and we have a responsibility to try to make them less of a burden on the whole system, if you will. I mean, all of the things that we've done in the past, although they weren't huge, but to attempt to 
reduce our electricity costs and be more efficient and so forth, you know, involve um, investments in new lighting or whatever, but at the end of the day are meant to make us be less, uh, you know, less wasteful, less. Uh, hey, and Garen's jumping on. <laughs> uh, did you hear your name being mentioned? That's so funny. He doesn't have his camera turned on. He doesn't, I don't think he has his sound on yet either. Oh, okay. That's pretty That's funny. funny. <laughs> <laughs> so last, last week camera. I got a- Okay. Okay. There you are. Hi, Ed. <laughs> I got an, on a project and lost track of the time. Hello, were your everybody. Ears, were your ears burning? We were talking about you and how you're a prophet in your own times. Well, I've kind of felt that way for a while, but you know what happens to all the prophets, you know, we, we get, in, what? <laughs> it's usually not a happy ending, except, we, you know, at least in this world. But anyway, it's okay. good to see you. Um, somebody was about to say something though. Who was, about, who was speaking just when Ed was beaming in? Yes, Marty. So there was an article in the New Yorker called What to Do with Climate Emotions. And it was July 10th of this year. And uh, it just has several scenarios of people that are um, almost immobilized because they're so freaked out about the climate. And then the author goes on to explain, talk about therapy and ways you can kind of deescalate it. And I was, I was, and I'm, I'm from Trinity in Portland, Oregon, and like your church, a very urban church. And I think there's a lot of young people that absolutely feel this way. And in, in my circle, few of us have grandchildren, which is um, kind of the ultimate downer. Right. <laughs> and so I, I think as a church, we could address that more, you know, kind of panic over climate. And this article is saying you just choose a couple behaviors and then kind of shrink your world into what you can do. But and then there's several therapy books. Um, anyway, I just thought it was really fascinating. And I, I think there's a, a need for our church to address that, especially for um, younger people that are going to have a lot of time on their hands because they they don't have children. I mean, well, as as the resident mental health person here, who lived in Portland five years, and I I went to Trinity for a while while oh. I was there. So you went through the red doors. <laughs> yes, uh, I spent most of my time at St. Stephen's downtown, but. I need to say a few things because most of my clientele are people under 40. And the problem I have is that uh, instead of trying to cure mental health, we need to look at the issues that are causing the distress in the first place. And in the midst of all of this, what almost no one is saying is stop using fossil fuels. Get rid of your gas appliances. Get rid of the gas meter coming into your house. Get rid of your gasoline burning car. 
et cetera, et cetera, because that's the only real solution to any of this. Mary, give, give me another high five, Mary. No, that's, I, I will. Hey, you and I have been uh, partners in a, a few little acts of insurrection out there, but, you know, I think you're absolutely right. And this, so maybe this isn't a but, it's more like an and. The and is that for a lot of individuals who are feeling desperate, they don't think that any single act like that, especially if it's just their own personal thing, is enough to really make a difference. And so just telling them that doesn't, doesn't make them suddenly feel hopeful and possible. And again, sort of harking back to this book, since this is what got me started, this is one of the great points that um, the author is making is that um, it's true that there's not one single solution that's going to uh, solve the problem, uh, but that it has to be cobbled together. I think cobbled together was the term that he used out of multiple different actions and different approaches. And so, you know, the main sin, if you will, is to do nothing, right? Whatever, whatever it is, you, whatever it is you do, unless it's counterproductive, is going to be helping in some some way or another. You, the reason why your name came up is because Kate told the story about the potential for um, putting an electric uh, water heater in the rectory. And I think she's leaning in that direction. I think- Oh, 100%, 100%. <laughs> but, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, it, will that be inspiring to some of our other folks? I, I certainly hope so. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I'll offer since, since I'm always ahead of the curve and it gets me in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. The extraction of fossil fuels, the, 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 the actual extraction of natural gas is no longer just drill a hole and pull it out. It's hydraulic fracking, which releases a lot of methane into the atmosphere Methane is 10 times worse than carbon dioxide. Using natural gas specifically is horrifically horrible to the environment. And it's, it's the, I think, well, I, nobody seems to publish this stuff. I pick it up along the way. Five years ago, we passed a significant tipping point. There is now more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere than there has ever been since human beings inhabited this planet. And you add to that all the free methane that's being shoved out into the atmosphere every time they do hydraulic fracking so that we can have the convenience of our gas appliances. And I've come to the conclusion that the whole deal with petroleum is intrinsically evil and contrary to our baptismal vows. Now, I know that's a harsh statement, but I think people really need to start looking at it that way. This is not a Band-Aid fix, folks. We just have to stop using the stuff and tell everyone we know to stop using the stuff. And just like when they were getting people to use seatbelts 50 years ago, make them feel shame if they continue. Now, I know that's a big stretch, but it's got to start somewhere and we are the salt of the earth. Ed and Mary, what about our um, those of us who still have gasoline cars? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it does it make more sense for me to keep driving my 2012 Honda CRV into the ground? Because Honda don't die. 
or or and if I sell it, someone else is going to drive it. Exactly. And that's exactly. the thing that I'm. I don't know what. Or should I start saving up for an electric car? But then, what do I do about this existing car? Well, well, turn it in. Let me respond to that for a moment. Okay. Um, you're you're going to use it for a trade-in for one thing. So then, what will happen to it is that it'll go to a dealership and the dealer will do something with it, but it most likely will end up in Mexico at that age, um, where it will be driven by somebody who currently is driving a car that uses leaded gasoline. You know, I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a trickle down, a, a trickle down solution, if you will, but it's still the right thing to do. I mean, I, I have a sense also, which I think maybe what you're alluding to is, I don't like to see things wasted. And that's yeah. part, of the, part of the way in which the petroleum industry has kind of gotten to us, gotten to a lot of people in policy roles, because what they're saying is, look, we have all this infrastructure, we have all these pipelines, we have all these existing um, appliances, how can you just talk about ripping them out or you know, disposing of them, then you're just creating this giant junk heap. Well, I think if you actually look at it, I think this is where, you know, the, the prophetic voice can be backed up by some actual hard facts is that, you know, these things weren't built to last forever. They're not going to last forever, mm -hmm. but the rate at which our planet is being um, harmed by the buildup of gases in the atmosphere. And it is true that methane, the name, you know, chemical name for what's natural, natural gas is you know much faster acting and much more powerful um, even than carbon dioxide and so a serious effort to just stop using it stop producing it um, is is really um, I think you know it's it's a valid almost like a necessary response because it is something that we could do more quickly than yeah. uh, many of the other changes that we talk about. But I'm still confused. If somebody in Mexico is still driving my car with gas, how is that helping the well, environment? What I was really saying, well, they're driving <laughs> gas. And it's also, he's he's gotten rid of his junker that's really polluting. Oh, yeah. I see. Well, maybe. Okay. Actually, actually the problem, as, as a former mechanic, the problem is, as long as it can be driven, somebody's going to drive it. So actually, in your case, Kate, how many miles a year do you drive? 5,000? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not driving 20,000 miles a year, but I, the, the issue with methane is it's 10 times worse. The good news is it apparently goes away after about 10 years, unlike carbon dioxide that's there forever, and or at least until it's pulled back in with trees. And that's the other thing. We should be planting trees everywhere that we can, and we should get down to Brazil and, and replant the Amazon. But um, I would say at this point, the appliances first, because they don't cost as much as replacing your car. And if you're really lucky, <laughs> a truck will back over your car without you in it. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be the end of it, <laughs> okay? But, I mean, my brother has a hybrid Ford Escape, 
that's all wheel drive. He lives in the mountains in North Carolina. And when he got his electric car, I said, look, Gene, they're not going to give you anything for it. You've owned it since it was new. You'll need it occasionally if the snow is deeper than five inches. So just keep it. So it's down in his lower driveway and he uses it to take garbage to the dump and, uh, you know, to kind of keep it running. But the same thing with my Dodge pickup truck. I mean, I put a tank of gasoline in it every six or eight months. Because so I know that this is an example of the kind of calculations that can either drive you crazy or maybe you can just hopefully kind of segment them in your mind as you yeah. make decisions because nobody has enough money. Well, some people might, but very few people are in a position to tear out everything that's in their house or to make all, you know, and get a new car and do everything else all at once. Right. Um, and so you have to pick up, you have to pick and choose, I guess, where you personally can make the difference. So I know. Well, we'll right. And, but I also think replacing all of one's appliances is probably one fifth of buying a new car and the impact it would have, because what is it? 37% of the carbon released into the atmosphere comes from our homes, mostly the use of natural gas. And on the West Coast, virtually every house and apartment has it. And that doesn't even count the methane released in extraction in addition, et cetera, et cetera. So, and I, you know, I think it's... Um, I think there's a reason the state of California is no longer putting natural gas appliances into new construction as of 2025. And if we retrofit, it's relatively cheaper. It'll save on energy bills, especially if you have solar panels. And uh, it's a very tangible thing that's not as expensive as replacing your car, especially if you dr don't drive a lot of miles. That's anyway. I'm realizing that we're we're um we're nine minutes out from being finished, and I thought it might be nice for us to kind of go around and each person um just uh, share some sort of final reflections on what this book has meant and maybe some thoughts for your own church as well, whether it's St. James or Trinity or Emily, what's your church called in in uh, Sacramento? Trinity Cathedral. Okay, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so trinities, all the trinities. So, um, so why don't we um start with you, Jackie? I know that you're an educator, and you've been looking at all of this through an educator's lens. Right. Um, I have two thoughts. I have more than that, but I'm only going to talk about two of them. Um, one is that uh, a lot of what we're talking about, we're asked to convey to children and young adults, and you end up leaving on a very pessimistic note. And one of the things we have to, to, to realize is that for many young people, especially urban dwellers, they don't know about the earth. And a great, one of the, the, a person that I have a lot of respect for said, we first have to teach them to love the earth before we ask them to save it. And I think there needs to be more um, opportunities for children and young adults to experience 
nature. It's not just the polar bear on the ice, you know, it's, it's what's relevant to them. Secondly, the second thought I had is that what's the largest producer of methane? We didn't hear you. <laughs> the three main sources of methane, the largest what? actually is oil and gas operations leaking from oil. And, and what's the third? It's, it's either uh, agricultural operations, meaning raising of cattle. Cows. So you know how they killed all the cows? <laughs> yes, we're not. Right. So, you know, you could also say, stop eating meat. And that is a right. Solution. So that's the other thing It's maybe instead of habit burger, we have Oh, um, Jackie. <laughs> oh, man, you had to go there. I the went third. there. Oh, is, my God. We need to be so. more proactive. Of, there's, um, there's also a lot more in landfills. That's the other big area. Yeah. Uncontrolled leakage. Of but that. I know a lot of young people my age who are vegetarians for ideological reasons. Yeah. Uh, among them that that eating beef is anti-earth. So <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 you're quite, quite touche. Absolutely. Although I would say there's a, and this is not, I don't know anything about the habit truck. I wasn't able to stay, but. I ate a hamburger. I, um, all right. All right. Well, I, I certainly have eaten more than my share of uh, hamburgers in my time on earth. But what I, what I want to say about that is that even in the area of beef, there's a huge distinction between cattle that are raised and, you know, finish their lives in feedlots and are fed, you know, artificial type food and cows that actually uh, live on the landscape and uh, do not have anything like the kind of emissions in their whole lifetime. Right, right, right. These, these it was just a little prick. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're absolutely, no, it's right. Because here I was getting on my high horse about what we can do as a church. So you're quite right to, to call me out. Let's keep moving to, oh, sorry, Mary. Uh, I agree. So. Marty, what would you like to say as an ending note here? Um, I, I agree with Jackie with um, just, I, I love the um, New Zealand service where you where we mention the earth more. And I, I think that just um, all of our trees and we need to discuss how hot it is and what we can do. I mean, what are the Episcopal churches in Phoenix doing? It's just gotta be brutal. Thank you. And um, Karen. Well, because since I'm in Virginia, it's a little different. Um, and at St. Andrews, we've really started looking at all the things that are done. In other words, things that are purchased, things that are produced for coffee hours, even since I run a lot of the coffee hours, what we use for disposals, um, how we utilize anything that got. We do still eat beef in Virginia. We do have our St. Andrews Day picnic that, you know, does include meat and I'm not sure we'd ever get people to give up that but since Virginia is just recently giving up plastic bags you know mm -hmm. we have a long ways to go as far as that most homes here are more electric than they are gas 
And I think it's because of it's easier to run and that sort of thing. And so what I got out of the book was the fact that I was very much encouraged that there are a lot of very intelligent, bright people that are coming up with solutions. And I would consider that, you know, my role and others role would be to support those solutions. I mean, the things that they did with the, at the Arctic, you know, with free freezing the water and that sort of thing. I mean, it was brilliant, you know, if, and hopefully that would be something that could be put in place, but it's gonna take resources. And so to be able then to support those resources of what people, and like somebody brought up about seatbelts, you know, learning over time mm -hmm. that, yeah, you can do that. You can make small changes and it not totally camouflage her. As far as Juliana, it's in the, the NASA is in the creation mod, is in the creation window. And it was done in 1981 and by the Nash family. And mm. so I think they had some connection to it. Those of you mm. from 81 would know more than I about that. Thank that you so much. Part of the creation window. Thanks, Karen. I didn't know that I had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Emily and Gretchen. <laughs> well, I'm uh, thinking the, that the point that is made in the book about joining a group, uh, being part of a group, speaks to what the church can do. It is, it is a group, after all. In the book, it started with, the, with Kali and the children of Kali, and uh, went at, to the end. At, with much more complicated groups, but uh, like the ones Karen mentioned that went to the Arctic. How about you, Gretchen? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think of, uh, of uh, Sacramento's recent uh, uh, creation of, uh, uh, of food waste um, and um, uh, composting, composting uh, a good deal of what we uh, produce on, on the, that we had sent to the landfill is now uh, gathered together with, with clippings from the uh, gardener and uh, food scraps. And, and uh, that I think that's, uh, a positive thing about where we particular where we actually live, and uh, absolutely, I think our church is trying its best to. Mm -hmm. The most the most interesting thing is that they have reduced the the leaflet. They try <laughs> to get people to do things uh, on their phones and stuff, and but. Uh, when that wasn't terribly successful, they decided there, there was a way they could use how many pages went into the leaflet and we're down, they're down to one, one fold. Mm. <laughs> and they, what they've done is uh, uh, depend on people's understanding of the liturgy mm. enough to uh, leave off from their leaflets and listen to what's happening. Mm -hmm. right. And now that their uh, sound system is better than it was when we first came. <laughs> it must help, yeah. And my ears are better yeah. because I have a hearing aid now. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
That's good. Thank you for that, Gretchen. And what about you, Nancy? And your cat? <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I think for me there, you know, I can be, for me to have an understanding, more of an understanding of the large things that are going on in the world is helpful. It helps me know how to vote and how to teach other people. And I think it's really important that, um, you know, even even for the youngest people, we can teach them that it's that they need to join other people in in doing these things. So yes, you know, turn off the water when you're brushing your teeth, and maybe even when you're soaping up in the shower, and that's not hard. And for me, it's you know, it's just a, being a little bit more mindful, um, and uh, almost you know, as we as when we take communion, you know, we have this moment that we that we put meaning into into the bread and the cup and i find myself you know just trying to attach spiritually to these acts maybe it's it's part of communion when we all you know brush our teeth without water what would that be like and you know it's a small thing but it's something that we all do together that makes that has a larger meaning because we're reaching out we're reaching out as a group and there are things that we can do as individuals, and maybe we write, you know, there, there are just so many things, but I think doing them as a church might be, might be exciting, and, you know, with a, with a spiritual meaning also, not just, you know, as if saving the earth, you know, and therefore, you know, having a place for humanity to be and all of the animals, that's spiritual enough, but, but in the small acts, I think that's important for me, anyway. And Juliana. Um, I liked Jacqueline's idea of fostering the love of nature because um, I feel like my generation, we are very like urban and I, you know, I'm always using social media and like always just cut off from, from nature. Although I can find it around me, I don't have like a lot of nature. And I like that idea and just like, you know, at the Korean service, they song that, that hymn that goes like, you know, when I look at the creation you created, God, like, I, I like, I'm so happy at your creation. And so, and that tied in with the book, this book club, because we were reading this book, book, and then they sang that hymn, and I was like, wow, you know, like, that was a connection with nature. And, you know, it's like my generation, my grandma's not like this. Um, she, you know, when we go to the restaurant, we use a napkin. Uh, I just wipe a little and throw, but my grandma will be like, hey, um, don't just wipe and throw. Like, you didn't use that fully. Like, can you use it more? I feel like, like, my generation, we're just really cut off from nature. And I, we don't, like, we don't enjoy it, you know? And we don't appreciate it. Mm. Thank you. And, and um, Ed, it's been great to have you drop in. I know you haven't had a chance to read the book, but but it's nice to have our resident prophet dropping by. Anyway, Mary, how about you? <laughs> well, since I'm the one who uh, started us off on this path of uh, using the book as a way to try to learn and reflect about the issue of climate change, I'm very satisfied with the fact that um, you know we've gotten such terrific uh, thinking out of it. I've really enjoyed listening to everybody. Uh, and I also feel personally 
more like it's uh, going to be something that I'm going to be thinking about in connection with my life in this particular community. You know, as, as you all know, it's an uh, issue that I've worked with in a number of different capacities at the global, national, and state level. And that's important and necessary, I think, but it's also important that we find ways to work, um, you know, in our own communities. And since this is uh, my community, I am going to be using this experience to try to come up with some new and better ideas. Well, thank you, everyone. I'm, thank you so much. I'm unmuted much. now. Oh, well, it's <laughs> too late because the book group's over. Can you want to say one sentence in closing, Ed? One sentence. Yes. There is an incredible amount of disinformation out there to confuse people. And the other mistake is this is not about all of the usual conservation stuff we've been taught for the last 40 years, although that is important. This specifically relates to the use of fossil fuel. That's the difference. This is not, I mean, the other stuff is important and I do it, but this is about fossil fuel. The gasoline you put in your car, the, the gas appliances you have in your home, that is what's causing all this heat. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Blessings. I wanna say a special thank you to Karen and Marty and Emily and Gretchen for beaming in from far away. It's been such a joy to see you all. Thank you. Thank you, Mary, for being with you. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.